The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. What's going on, y'all? This is Bud Elliott of the Cover 3 Podcast for the college football lunch break. Really appreciate y'all taking time out of your day. I know everybody is trying to wrap up things at the office probably if you're not already off work. If you happen to be able to take the Tuesday off and you're still spending it with us, that's... That's cool as well. Uh, really happy to welcome in again, Cooper Tagna, national recruiting analyst, many, many years working in the game of football now on the media side. Uh, Cooper, man, good to have you join again. It's fun. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me back. By the way, last week we had really good reviews and, and people seemed to enjoy it, get, kind of getting into the nitty gritty of the personnel and, and, and the insider game a little bit. And, uh, and it should be fun. And basically this is our, our hour uh, to – take a couple of y'all's questions and also just empty the clip as far as the text message that we go back and forth with on, on you know, throughout the week. Did you see this, Did you see that, Hey, that'd be kind of cool to talk about. Uh, nobody else talking about this. Let's, let's hit that up as a topic. Uh, and one that I think we should probably start with because it is you know, topical, and, uh, timely is recruiting in the state of Florida. I'm obviously a Florida guy. You know, Cooper, you're very familiar with the state as well. Uh, and I'm fairly close to publishing my, annual Sunshine State scorecard, uh, which is where I track you know, how many kids uh, from the state of Florida are staying in Florida among the four and five stars. And recently, the returns have not been uh, great. And Georgia and Bama and Clemson and Ohio State and occasionally LSU have been the beneficiary of those top teams in Florida uh, failing to keep those kids in the state. And I don't think there's any doubt that one of the reasons Dan Mullen is out is because despite the fact that he had a really nice first three years in Gainesville, uh, this year on the field wasn't great. If that's all it was, I think they probably look at the bigger sample set and say, hey, pretty good first couple of years. But when they turn the page and they look at the recruiting and they kind of take a look under the hood at what was going on in that program, uh, not a whole lot of belief that he was going to be the guy to get that thing turned around there despite his on-field acumen. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of that, you look back at it, I was looking at Florida and what Dan Mullen has done since he has been there. You know, the recruiting in terms of what the expectation is, you go back last year, they're, they're number 12, nine before that, 14, 
2018, number 11 in 2017. Like those numbers are bad. I think it's what the expectation is and who you're being constantly compared to. And in the East, you're being compared to that machine that Kirby Smart has built uh, to rival Alabama and Nick Saban. So that's tough company at Florida with Dan Mullen. That being said, that's the expectation at Florida. There's no reason that the University of Florida shouldn't be in the top five every year or at least right outside the top five uh, looking into that conversation. So and in, in, in terms of Mullen and, and what he did on the field, I think he is one of the most respected X's and O's coaches in the country. And I think Dan Mullen is a good football coach, but there's a difference between being a good X's and O's coach and being a CEO of a program, especially at a place like Florida, understanding uh, the amount of detail and nuances that go into recruiting and overseeing that side of thing. And then I think more that did him in, in instead of what happened on the field was more of the disconnect in terms of the messaging in recruiting. And I think there was a lack of awareness, especially when it came um, to understanding where they really stood in the pecking order behind Alabama and Georgia in the East. I think that really kind of did them in more than anything. Uh, and then there was a lot of negative attention really the last month before he got let go. I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, you know, they, it is important to understand where you stand with your targets. Uh, this is something that, that I, I criticized Willie Taggart for when he was in Tallahassee. And I straight up told that staff when they asked me, you guys aren't getting Evan Neal. You need to get off that and get to a plan B or plan C, because if you stay on your plan A too long, your plan B and plan C are going to commit elsewhere. And you're going to end up with the plan D or plan F, a guy that really probably can't play in Tallahassee. Certainly that plagued Florida at, at times as well. The other thing that really hurt them to do a little postmortem on it is, okay, we didn't notice at the time, but with the benefit of hindsight, the first class you sign as a new coach in the early signing period era, that class you only have two to three weeks to put together at best in some circumstances. We know now that the overwhelming odds are it is not going to work out for that class. A lot of the higher rated kids in those classes have tended to be kids who maybe were available for a reason. And I don't mean a good reason, right? I mean a bad reason. Maybe competitive temperament, mental health issues, you know, disastrous family that the staff doesn't want to deal with with, with all the issues that, that comes with that, you know, injury history, maybe some grade stuff that, uh, you know, are, are not like not, uh, not not able to be discovered by some of the rating services, which means you need to knock your next class out of the park. That first full class that you sign is absolutely vital. It always has been, uh, but I think that import is, is magnified now because of the likelihood of that first class you sign is not going to give you very much. And indeed, Dan Mullen's first class he signed that he only had a couple of weeks to put together, really through no fault of his own, because we're seeing you know, even guys that are really successful right now like Jimbo at AM, his 2018 class is just as bad as Dan's was. Like, you just don't have time to put it together. You have to knock that next class out of the park. And that year, I thought they did a poor job overall. They actually took some kids kind of late in the process that I felt like they were taking to appease the boosters when you go on the rubber chicken circuit and, and do all those dinners in the offseason to, to kind of pump up their, their class rating. Guys that other staffs knew would not qualify, right? I mean, other staffs in the state knew Diaby Hammond was not going to get in. And they backed off the kid. Florida took him. Why? He was a four-star player, you know, on talent. 
grades, obviously, a- academics prevented from getting in. They, you know, Dewan Black, obviously, he's there now, but they took him. Obviously, there was a little bit different circumstance. They never got Wilson into school. There were a couple other guys that had pretty major red flag, you know, character or competitive temperament issues in that class who they took, who washed out after like a semester. And the evaluations of other staffs were validated there, obviously. So if you stack back-to-back kind of iffy classes, you're going to have problems once McIlwain's players get off that roster. Uh, And I thought some of their recruiting recently had improved a little bit as far as their evals, but it goes back to your point. You're paid to fight Georgia, and Georgia is not slowing down. If anything, they're just kicking this thing into hyperdrive right now. Uh, let's go ahead and look at you. I know you looked at the top the top two four seven players in the state. Uh, I'll just go ahead and run down the, this this list. This is pretty striking because the the results recently have not been very good. But this is obviously a, a uniquely bad year because you have Mullen fired. We don't know the status of Manny Diaz. Florida State started zero and four. Amazingly, they might make a bowl, but they did lose all their recruiting momentum after starting 0-4 and losing you know, to FCS, Jacksonville State. So I want to focus mainly on the kids who are actually from Florida because we we fold in IMG players into our ratings for the state of Florida. But my research shows that most of the time, the IMG kids who are from out of state and particularly from out of region are likely to return to their home region, typically. And so I don't think it's fair to set an expectation that Florida or Miami or Florida State are going to keep a lot of those IMG kids from you know Jersey or California in the state. It happens sometimes, but it's not a real apples to apples comparison. If you want to look at the historical trends and go back, you know, even to the Urban Meyer days. So you had a pretty good stat to lay on me. What 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 did you see for the top two four seven? Yeah, I think what we saw with the top twenty, not including the whole top two four seven, but the top twenty players in Florida. Okay, and this this goes back. You pointed out this before we got on the call was seven of these guys, I believe in the top 20 attend IMG Academy, but out of the 20, only one is committed to either Florida state, Miami or Florida. And that's, that's striking, you know? So if you go at that list and you look at it, Shamar Stewart, uncommitted, Gabriel Brown, Lord Dindy committed to Oklahoma, Marvin Jones uh, still hadn't made a decision yet. Jihad Campbell, Dalen Everett, some of those, uh, IMG Academy players from out of state, both committed to Clemson. And then you have Sam McCall, not till number six, who is a very good player in his own right, committed to Florida State. Uh, and then the list goes on, so on and so forth. Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. You continue to kind of see these powers living in the state of Florida. And there has to be some resistance there, uh, resistance that Miami, Florida, and Florida State um, have not really given uh, to these schools like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. And if you're, if you're Florida, it it has to be a huge feeling of a missed opportunity, right? I mean, Florida State's had the worst five years they've had in either of our lifetimes. Miami is continually down. Whenever Meyer was there, you got to recruit against kind of late career Bobby Bowden, and you got to recruit against, what was it, Larry Coker, and then I believe the transition into Randy Shannon. And even Ron Zook was 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 beating them both in recruiting. Now Zook didn't really do the coaching part uh, as well as he needed to to keep that job. But Urban Meyer comes in there, and he smokes those two teams in recruiting. Historically, when the other two programs in this state are down, somebody else takes advantage, and usually it's the third in-state team. What we've seen here, though, is that Florida failed to capitalize on that 
And so it's, you know, been beneficiary of Georgia, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, some of LSU, hell, even Penn State a little bit. If you look at some of the uncommitted kids in this state right now, you know, like, like we said, you know, Sam McCall is the one that stands out. He's already committed uh, to Florida State. Shamar Stewart, 100% crystal ball to Texas A&M. Uh, none of the in-state schools, I think, have a real shot at him. Maybe Miami, but I kind of doubt it. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. is an interesting one. No crystal balls in yet for him. We know that is what Bama, Florida State, A&M, Georgia. He didn't put Ohio State in his top five, I believe. So you'll have a shot. His dad obviously played for the Knowles, and they have a good relationship with him, but you're, you're fighting a, a battle there for sure. Mari Wilson, I expect to go to, to Georgia at this point. Uh, Earl Little is most likely Bama, assuming that they still have room. Now, Florida State thinks they're in second place there. And, or, you know, if, if for some reason Bama fills, they could get that one. Nigel Lee Kelly, not really sure. Uh, Oregon, FSU's in it. Clemson, Georgia, like there's, there's a lot of, a lot of potential ones there. Uh, I actually don't know what's going to happen with, with, with Thomas, uh, the, the safety out of Niceville. Wesley Besaint is, an in-state battle uh, at this point. Most crystal balls on Miami. I actually put mine on, on Florida State following the visit. Uh, this is going to be a tremendous out-of-state haul. You know, Julian, Ar- Julian Armella, who I believe uh, our Bama site said probably not a take for, for the Tide. Uh, Florida and LSU are the other two finalists. They don't have coaches right now, so that's potentially problematic. <laughs> if you're going to do some recruiting, I think we know where he'll go. Not really sure on the status of Dominic James. This is this is kind of bleak. I mean, Mar- Markeith Williams is still committed. He's, he's a top 247 guy uh, in the state of Florida to Miami. Florida still has Jamari Lyons, Chris Graves. But in, in a good year, these programs are pulling six, seven, eight, four, and five stars each out of the state, if not more. To have, what did you say, seven combined? That's that's really problematic, uh, and that's going to cause some roster issues. It's going to be tough to climb out of it in, in a short order. Well, you know, the other thing I think about, I was I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, it's it's such a parity issue. It starts in the state of Florida. I mean, look at the teams that are benefiting from this. Yeah. Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and Ohio State, arguably the most consistent four programs over since the college football playoff era. And they're coming into a talent-rich state with very little resistance from Florida, Miami, and Florida State. And that's an issue for everybody else. And we talk about parity, but to me, in terms of roster construction, where it starts, it starts in the state of Florida. I mean, you look at Isaiah Bond, decommitted from Florida yesterday, crystal ball towards Alabama. You know, the rich get richer. That's a top 100 player in the top 247 for Florida in their class. Shamar James, decommitted. You know, another guy, the corner, Humphrey from Texas, flipped to Georgia. You know, UGA... Alabama, these really smart teams who continue to recruit throughout the entire process, uh, they understand it. They understand that these teams are kind of wounded ducks and they're vulnerable right now. And it continues to strengthen their grip on the rest of college football. Uh, And they understand that. uh, And they've certainly taken advantage of that. But in terms of the parity in college football and where these teams continue uh, to get stronger, I think you look at Florida and with those three teams down, much as like we were talking last week with Texas A&M 
part of the reason that they're having a great class, not to take anything away from them. They're doing a fantastic job of taking away from Texas and LSU yeah. right now. And, and part of taking this next step as programs and continuing to build a winning, sustainable model is you have to take advantage when your opponents are down. Uh, and, and a lot of these teams, like we talked about in Florida, whether it's in Louisiana with LSU, the, the teams out there who find themselves in the mix year in and year out understand this, uh, and I've done a great job capitalizing on it. They, they, they really have. Um, and, and if you look at a lot of the candidates that are being mentioned, you know, Swamp 24-7, great job so far with all their VIP insider access stuff. Basically, to a man, everybody that Florida is looking at has a reputation as a very strong organized recruiter. Uh, you know, Billy Napier has a very strong recruiting uh, reputation. Brian Kelly, I think, is occasionally hamstrung by uh, the type of academic person or, or uh, profile that you can not only get into Notre Dame, but that will profile to uh, remain eligible at Notre Dame. It, it is higher than it is at some other schools. I think there are fewer majors you can hide kids in there with the Irish, but they, they do a really nice job recruiting nonetheless there in South Bend in an area that doesn't have a lot of talent to recruit from in Indiana. You know, they, they, they go national, they, they evaluate kids pretty well and, and they, they certainly recruit to their brand. You know, we'll see on the Lane Kiffin thing, but I, I think, you know, he has a reputation certainly as a, a really intense recruiter. Um, you know, it, they're going to have to turn this talent thing around. I don't think this roster is like one class away from you know being dominant uh so it's going to have to be an organizational overhaul with the focus on roster building and that is that's the key man i i i used to get a lot of flack for, for saying this but when i created the blue chip ratio but mark d'antonio great coach gary patterson great coach no doubt no rings because you know who has rings gene chiswick's got a ring mac brown known as like an amazing schemer no he's not He's known as somebody who can hire coaches, run an organization with, with, with recruiting, and let let the thing hum. College football, you have to have recruiting and coaching to win it all. But we do have examples where recruiting won it all, and the coach gets very little credit. Now, I think that's a little bit unfair, but, I mean, Gene Chizik won one with Cam Newton, right? And has not get a head, head coaching job since and was fired, what, the the year after? There are examples of dudes who are not thought of as, as good coaches winning national titles because of the talent. Find me an example of guys who are thought of as great coaches who win the national titles without great recruiting. That you, I'm pretty sure, will sit here all day. Yeah, you got. Excuse me, you got to find a blend. I mean, that's that's the thing we always come back to. It, like, right, my my background certainly in recruiting, and I kind of feel like. You know, I'm, I'm beating this drum and, and it's one of those things I, I continue to say it, but I think that has to be apparent. That has to be at the forefront of every coaching search at one of these major programs between USC, between LSU, between Florida is okay. If our expectation is to win a national championship and compete year in and year out for a playoff spot, then we need to have somebody who we feel very strongly and convicted about not only as a coach, but as somebody in terms of how they're going to put a plan together um, to, to put us in that conversation in terms of one of the elite recruiting programs in the country. And this is a conversation that we're going to get into a little bit later in the show, but you know, the, the demand for that is high. I'm not sure the supply is there. 
I mean, how many guys in the country can actually meet that standard? Uh, and like we talked about, I mean, Dan Mullen was a very good coach, you know, in terms of look what he's accomplished at Florida. Understandably so, Florida kind of found themselves in a little bit of a conundrum this year where, like, what is the ceiling there? You know, they, they obviously have a higher expectation for what should be achieved there. And in terms of the way Dan Mullen viewed recruiting, that just wasn't going to happen. You know, like Florida in a nutshell to me was playing Alabama close. That was the ceiling at home earlier this year in Gainesville. And people saying, wow, I remember them coming off that game and saying, wow, the future in Gainesville is bright. That was the narrative. Yep. The next week they go on the road, I believe, and lose to Kentucky. Yeah, And that just goes to show the spectrum in terms of roster building, you know. Um, so Recruiting sets only, your floor and your ceiling. Correct. Correct. And, and you're only as high as that ceiling and, and only as low as that floor. So I think that's one of those things. Um, I get it. I understand it. I, I understand how that can kind of grow out of nauseam to fan bases who keep hearing that personnel should be at the forefront. Um, but you get what you emphasize. And if you don't emphasize recruiting at some point in time, that's going to show up. I, I also think that it, it is important to point out what we're saying as far as, you know, personnel and needing to be at the forefront is really important at the very top of the sport. I, I honestly believe that you can recruit like fit and scheme guys. If, if you are maybe like not a top 15 type program, you know, if you're more in that like 20 to 50 range, you want to consistently like maybe win a weaker division like like the Big Ten West or something like that, right? And you don't have access to that elite talent. You know, the, the new Big 12 is, is another example. Like nobody in there profiles as an elite recruiter, although we did a show last week talking about TCU could, with the right guy, you know, really tap in to that Dallas-Fort Worth market even more than they already do. Uh, in my opinion, at the very top of the sport, I don't want guys that fit my system. I need to fit my system to the very best talent I can get because the guys who are winning the top. Now, it's not saying like be system agnostic. Clearly, like system matters some, but the very best teams are not sacrificing on talent to find scheme fit. You know what I mean? They are going for the very, very, very best athletes and fitting their scheme to that. That's what that's what I've observed at least. At the like, if you go down a little bit, that's where I think the differentiation comes and you can focus a little more on scheme. And that's a question always you're going to have for some of these guys, including maybe a Dan Mullen, right? Who did a great job of recruiting to his scheme there at Mississippi state, not always very high recruiting rankings. It didn't translate quite as well to Florida. Florida expects you to not be going after you know, diamonds in the rough. Everyone, the diamond in the rough, who's the 23rd guy in your class. Awesome, man. That's cool. Talk about that at the booster event. Those first couple kids need to be four and five star players for sure, and pretty much down you know down the roster as well. One hundred and ten percent. You know, we we always had that conversation at Washington. Is like, you know, we we talked about we went to three straight New Year's Six bowls. Um, you know, before I got there, we played Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, and then the conversation is like, okay, how do you go from good to great? You know, we want to compete nationally in all three of those games. They kind of told us something, you know, you played Alabama really well in the first half of that playoff game. And then Alabama in the second half adjusted and kind of let the talent take over. Right. Penn State was kind of outdueled in the in the first half, came back, played them really well in the second half. And then 
Ohio State, first half, half of that game, you're down 21-3 to three at halftime. You know, so you kind of see the discrepancy there in terms of the roster composition and the talent gap. And I think those are always really interesting conversations. How do you take that next step? And I think that comes down to, um, you know, like Washington and Oregon. We had those conversations. What What's different between those two? Well, Mario Cristobal is really good at acquiring top-end talent in that conference. He's doing something that nobody else is doing, not even not even USC. Um, so what that does is, is when you increase that top-end talent, it raises your margin of error. You know, like, and for us, when you have dynamic playmakers, I remember the, the first time we played Oregon and you're going up against Justin Herbert, you're going up against some of these athletes that are now playing in the NFL. Um, and that was one of those things is you don't have to play a perfect game when you have players like that, you know, that can go out and do special things throughout the course of a game that are going to change the result of that game. Um, and I think in reality, that has to be the mindset for a lot of these coaches and a lot of these programs. Look, I'm confident in myself as a coach, as a play caller, in terms of developing a culture. If I go out there and get the right guys that are going to go out there and going to make me look a lot better in my margin for error as a coach, then is going to be significantly lower because I got the guys out there that can go out there and impact a game. And, and I don't sure. think a lot of coaches think like that. I don't. I think it's vice versa. I think it's give me the clay. I'll mold it to the level that I think we can sustain it. And that's not the way to look at it, in my opinion. You know plenty of these guys. I know plenty of these guys. They're they're all cocky to some extent because in order to get where, you, where you've been, you have to have an incredible belief in yourself. You have to make a lot of sacrifices to get to where they, they've been. And there's going to be a great belief in their ability to coach and, and, and mold these guys, you know, and, and the, there's a certain humility to it uh, to do, you know, what, what a Nick Saban or, or a Kirby or, or guys like that do. And it's like, look, it, it's, it's about the players. Kirby said it like, like I, I need the players. Yeah. Well, the game rapidly is changing. College football is rapidly changing. You have to evolve. The issue is like you said, is a lot of these guys greatest strength is also their greatest weakness and is what is holding them back. Like what got Dan Mullen to Florida is ultimately probably probably what pushed him out of the door. Same with Jimmy Lake. You know, Jimmy Lake is an extremely confident personality um, that was very different than Chris Peterson in terms of being buttoned up and, and how he would address the media, almost to the point where um, it was nice. He was a nice compliment to Chris Peterson, who would always tell you the right thing, would never give you any bulletin board material and then you had a guy like jimmy lake who had a little bit of edge to him you know but at the same time going from and i'm just saying this everything is examined differently when you're the one in charge you know and, and it's the same thing going from mississippi state to florida the expectations are different there's a certain type of self-awareness that you have to know and understand and continue to keep your finger on and have a pulse on when you're going and transitioning to a different job. And I think the one thing that is so critical for head coaches is having a really good understanding and awareness of not only what the expectation is, but how the game is changing. How do they, how do they adjust their sights to meet that expectation? And not a lot of them, like, I would love to see like what Dan Mullen's process is this off season. Like wh what is he going to do 
to evaluate himself in this process. Is it, hey, Florida gave me a raw deal. You know, that is what it is. I'm going to take my same system. Next opportunity I get, and I'm going to plug and play. Or is it going to say, hey, from a humility standpoint, let's look at this from 10,000 feet. What went wrong and what could I have done better? And, yep. and that's so hard to find. I mean, you have to have the humility to open yourself up to constructive criticism. That's a really hard thing for a lot of these guys who are being paid an obscene amount of money, right? Yeah. Like think of the two guys that we were talking about, two jobs that are open. Ed Orgeron was what, number two in the country at $9 million a year. Dan Mullen, number six at seven, five. And you're going to tell them what they're doing wrong. Good luck. Exactly I mean, right. You know, it. there's a lot of things that, that Mullen probably could look at and adjust. And the interesting thing here is he really only needs to adjust them if he wants to, if he ever is going to get another shot at a job that you can win a national title at. I think his process of finding the, the you know, OKGs, right? My, my kind of guys for, or excuse me, our, our kind of guys for the system that he wants to run works pretty fine at a lot of schools. Now, that's not to say the process couldn't be refined, but if there's going to be a, like a top 10 job, a job you can really feel like you can win a national title at, yeah, I think he'd need to change his process a whole lot. I'm not sure that he ever gets that 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 shot, right? I mean, he interviewed for a whole lot of jobs at Mississippi State, and the word in the industry was he was a poor interviewer. And there, to me, there's no coincidence. The one, the one place that hired him was the place that employed the athletic director who had been his AD at Mississippi State for, what, seven years? Um, you know, the guy like, hey, I don't need to ace the interview if I work with you every day. I might be a weirdo in an interview, but I can damn sure coach, coach in football. Uh, and who knows? Maybe the people who were turning them down, like Tennessee, a couple times in interviews, granted, their process has not, not been great recently, uh, to be to be sure. Maybe they found something and said, eh, I don't know, like this this may not work here. You know, th this may not work there. Coop, you, you mentioned something, um, these these coaching salaries. And a lot of people are saying, hey, uh, by the way, Andrew Ivins uh, just reported that uh, uh, Shamar Stewart looking like uh, another uh, – let me pull it up here. I just saw it on Slack. A little breaking news. Want, want, want to give Ivins some, some, some love here. He hustles his butt off for us at 24-7 Sports. Uh, Miami's going to host uh, Shamar Stewart for another visit here on Tuesday. So keeping it in the state of Florida, if, if, if they keep that coaching staff around and they could somehow pull Shamar Stewart, that would be an absolutely huge, huge get for them. Yeah. I mean, that'd be, that'd be monumental. I I'd love to get your thoughts. That's probably a different conversation, like on the Manny Diaz situation, you know, like, do you yeah. think he's the guy? You know, from an accumulation of talent standpoint, I don't, I don't think that's been the issue. You know, I don't think it's been great. I don't think it's been bad. You know, I think it's probably right there in between. Um, it's been good enough. But do you think he's the guy to get Miami out of that, that current situation? If you can go get Mario and you're confident, no. If you can go get Lane and you're confident, no. But to me, the drop-off between the two obvious guys and the next guy could potentially be pretty big. It also troubles me that Miami is now talking about how they are going to commit money to the thing. How do we know if Manny Diaz is the right guy if if like Miami's basically admitting fault in its process that they've not been willing to spend money for? 
right? I mean, okay, now you're going to talk about committing money because you got co- you got called out by Herb Street on College Game Day, and you talk about bringing money over from the the medical you know side of things with with their U Health. Maybe Manny is, maybe he's not. Uh, this recruiting class this year is is not trending well. Obviously, they have eight kids committed, I think, which is not going to get the job done. Uh, but I think some of his hires have been pretty solid. Lashley's worked out pretty well. Uh, you know, some of their evals have been pretty good. You know, well, I, I really It's hard to evaluate because I don't know how suboptimal is their level of spending right now if they're talking about pumping all this money into the program, assuming that's even true. We've heard this before, and it hasn't necessarily you know, come true. I, I, I don't know. The, the devil you know sometimes is better, better than one you don't. If you're confident you can go get Mario, I would switch him out for Mario. I think Mario's a better better coach. Lane, I think, would probably do pretty well down there. If it's not those yeah. two guys, you could be downgrading. I mean, they like to me, it's all about how you see yourself, right? I've been I've been saying this for two weeks now, you know, but if you're Miami and you see yourself uh the way that a lot of people see Miami and the alumni base sees Miami early two thousands. And for a national championship contender, playoff contender, um, you know, I think you have to make that move. But how serious are you about it? Yep. And 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 to me, if I'm Miami, I'm just like you. I don't, I don't go past option one A or one B. Starts and ends with that, and you make them say no. And I think both of those guys are in positions um, if you approach it right, where you'd have a pretty good chance of being able to poach one of those guys. I agree. And I don't pull the trigger unless I'm pretty damn sure I'm going to get one of those guys. I, I don't want to be left holding the bag, especially not in this coaching cycle, because we know a lot of schools didn't pull the trigger last year due to COVID. So we're going to have more openings this year than we have in a typical year. Not like double, but it's, it's probably going to be like 1.5x. And that's going to be a more competitive market. So if you don't have your guy lined up, maybe don't pull the trigger, in my opinion. And it costs a lot of money. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The next thing we wanted to talk about, uh, I know we were texting back and forth a little bit, obviously the $96 million, I believe, uh, proposed extension 
for Mel Tucker at Michigan State, and that got everybody up in arms. And uh, oh my gosh, you know that's a lot of money for a college coach, and he hasn't actually won a whole lot of games there at Michigan State. And and my general thought on this is, a I think there's a little bit of a bubble in college football right now because if you don't have to pay the players, and I know they are paid in other ways, but if you don't have to pay them a salary, the money's got to go somewhere. I don't need two indoor practice facilities. I don't need two football-only facilities. You know, these schools that bring in a ton of money in the Big Ten and the SEC and have these incredible booster you know, bases, Michigan State's got a guy that owns the mortgage company. He's got $6 billion. $96 million to him over the course of 10 years, it ain't a thing. He's not rich enough or un- like maybe he can't buy the Lions or, 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 or buy the Green Bay Packers. What's the next best thing? Pl- play kind of, you know, miniature owner of a college football team. And my thought is, if you think you've got the guy who could elevate your program above what its ceiling is, the money is worth the risk, assuming you have the, the financial backing for it. Mel Tucker may not be the guy. They've won a lot of close games this year. You know, they might have got a little bit lucky in the transfer portal there. They got smoked by Ohio State. It was 49-0 at halftime. But if you believe he's the guy with the information you have internally based off the processes, I don't really have a problem with this. They're not using public funds for, for this. I do wonder, though, if if we're paying these guys who are, I don't want to call them second tier in a negative way, Coop, but the guys who are not proven like like, like a, you know, a, a Nick Saban type or, you know, Dabo or whatnot, we, the the gap between the very top guys and the next next guys are sort of it's 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 more narrow than it would be in other professional sports. It kind of suggests to me like Saban should be getting like twenty million if some of these dudes are getting eight or nine. Yeah, I mean it's it's super fascinating. So that contract would make what Tucker the second highest paid coach in all of college football. Yeah, and to me it's just like you know we're, we're going to talk about this, but it's a it's the supply and demand deal. You know, I, we don't know if there's enough coaches out there of quality um, in terms of competing in, in, in uh, orchestrating and elevating your program to a playoff-like status. Um, so when you have one or when you think you have that guy and confidence in that guy, there's almost like, you know, there's this opportunity cost. We don't want to risk losing this guy who's going to continue to put us in this situation. Um, and I think... You look at Michigan State, you look at the rumors we hear about James Franklin, him signing a new deal with Penn State, right? And arguably over the last two years, it's kind of been um, a little bit of up and down for James Franklin at Penn State. Yeah. Um, but you see the the commitment to somebody like that. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think about it like, I guess, being in college football, there's so many different ways you could spend that money you know, two to $3 million in college football in terms of infrastructure, in terms of support staff, infrastructure and salary goes so far. And we're talking about paying guys like Mel Tucker $9.5 million because maybe LSU's knocking on his door. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that's the way college football is going. I agree with you in terms of it being a bubble. Um, but in terms of, and I agree, I think there's only a handful of guys that should be in that category of Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Ryan Day, Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley. Like, 
that's it. I think those guys should kind of be in a in a tier of their own. Maybe Jimbo Fisher. I think too. Jimbo belongs on that list again. Right. You know, like, like um, now that it seems like he's he's motivated. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it's just crazy, right? Like we'll, we'll see what happens with LSU. I fully expect them to kind of reset the bar here, um, maybe sometime in, in the next couple of weeks. So, um, and and for that case, I think I think it's only going to continue to grow exponentially. For sure. I mean. It, I, I do think we're going to see a bit of a split between the conferences because there's there are a lot, there are a lot of leagues out there that can't afford to break the bank uh, if they think they have the right guy. You know, they're going to have to try to find different ways to lock them down. Your your point about uh, your point about Tucker and and the way you could spend that money, I think is well taken as well. And Mel is a guy who he had Michigan State over a barrel when he signed the first deal due to the timing of the hire. Right. So D'Antonio did not retire until what was it like early March? I think it was or, or it, it, Mel was in a really weird spot because not only did he not get to do early signing period at all, which, hey, in my opinion, you, you may not be missing out on much. Uh, if anything, you have, more, you have more playing time to sell in your second class. Uh, but he basically got no time with with spring with these guys, like to meet them before spring. I mean, he got there. Okay. Comment section. Tell me now early February. That's right. Cause he got hired about the same week. I got hired at 24 seven sports and then the world shut down. So he didn't get a whole lot of time with these guys. I think Michigan state probably canceled spring since they were in the big 10. Um, you know, like the job he's done there is pretty impressive, but he also really negotiated for a lot of recruiting staff. Uh, I know Pete Thamel's written about this over at Yahoo he's a saving guy and you know that model those guys are resource hounds man they are constantly pushing for you know more staff more positions more resources and he basically said michigan state you're gonna give me this you're gonna give me that you're gonna give me that you're gonna be give me one of the largest salary pools in the nation michigan state could be an oklahoma state type situation with the with with the couple billionaire boosters they have who are willing to spend you know there's only 32 nfl teams not every billionaire can own one so, yeah. you know, if, if you really love your school, yeah. And about, I know comment section going off on Tucker. If you dig into the injury report in that game, like I wish I would, I would have known this before. So I could, I could have bet Ohio state. They're missing their top two receivers. Walker gets hurt Two starting offensive linemen. One of their better linebackers were, is wearing a knee brace. They, they lose a safety in, in, in the game. Like Michigan state's a good team. They're not a great team they have no shot of hanging with Ohio state. If they're missing all those guys, I think Mel Tucker has done a good job. Like if you don't think that your standard might be a little bit, uh, a little bit too high for this sport. And I do think he's elevated them, you yeah. know, even from like a perception standpoint already. And, and, you know, from a resource standpoint, like, and I, there's something I admire about a coach who knows and understands and has a plan in, in terms of what it looks like you know, and elevating a, a program like Michigan State, who's kind of been in this purgatory, you know, kind of like in that that second tier category, when it all comes together, maybe you can make a run in the Big Ten and you're a four seed in the playoffs, right? Like they were with uh, D'Antoni. So, um, you know, I, I admire that in, in terms of him kind of going all in and saying, hey, this is what it needs to look like. Because you, you can't half-ass it. Right. I mean, that's the difference of the of the teams that we've talked about who year in and year out in the college football playoff have positioned themselves in the top five or six programs in the country. 
And that's why they're competing for a national championship year in and year out because they figured that out. And it's not really a question. They just get it done. And everybody else who's still trying to figure it out, hey, how we pinch pennies and how do we do this and all that type of stuff, you're not really in it. You're not really in it. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of why I ask these questions like Miami, like how do you view yourself? If you think you have a higher standard, if you think this is unacceptable, which you should, then you should go out and go get the next guy that you think is going to bring you back to where you think you should belong. No questions asked, you know, like stop all that, you know, go get it done. Um, and I admire Mel Tucker taking that approach at Michigan State. You know, like he, he didn't have to take that job, right? He, he could have stayed at Colorado. They, they had a pretty nice extension on, on the table for him as well. And and he's like, look, if I'm going to come here, you guys are going to do it right for me. And I, I, I totally appreciate that. Uh, one other thing he brought up about, about Miami, I know uh, Anthony Manzano in the chat here, an interesting question. He said, hey, if they hire Cristobal as their head coach, do you think he'd bring in elite coordinators and position coaches? Uh, and who else would you bring in as the coordinators? I, I really don't know about the coordinators. Um, but I think... I will say this. If you're Cristobal, you don't take that job unless you think Miami's actually going to follow through on the commitment, right? For money. Because he's going to want a big staff. You've, you've worked for the guy. I mean, the one of the issues that Miami has, and especially USC has, is the cost of living. We touched on this a little bit last week. But as the size of these staffs grow, you, you can't pay everybody half a million bucks, right? You have to be able to get some quality people for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. And 100 in Athens, Georgia, goes a really long way. 100 at USC may have you live in an outs- like an hour outside of campus. And that's that's a problem when you, when you want to have quality people, right? If you're a coach, you're working like crazy, crazy hours. You may want your wife to stay home with your kids. And like that's that is tough. So I don't know who Mario would bring with him as far as coordinators. Uh, I don't know if Moorhead would, would, would go to Miami. Um, but I don't think he would take that job unless Miami actually wants to make a real financial commitment to be able to hire a whole lot of support staff and and, and do that thing right. He's not dumb. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. You know, one thing that I think you can do at some of these places, you talk about USC, you talk about Miami, it's, it's fostering a culture – into perception of saying, hey, this is a good place to be in terms of making the next best move for your career. And it's really, look, ignore the uh, number that we put on your check and come here and have an opportunity uh, to be part of something. And there's a lot of places um, in, in unique places, like, you know, even Oregon's one of that pl- one of those places where you're able to get good people because they understand the power of the O and the brand. I think Miami is one of those places, certainly with the right leadership in place, where that can be one of those jobs where, hey, we're attracting a lot of good people because people understand what this can do for their career and the future outlook of their lives. So um, I think Miami can certainly be one of those places. It's an unbelievable place to live. Obviously, the cost of living is something uh, that you're going to balk at a little bit uh, before moving down there. But I think there's no doubt Mario could could certainly make that a sexy place to go work. For sure. And he obviously, like his brother is still a police officer down there or sheriff, uh, law enforcement officer uh, down there in the area. You know, it, it's a place that he certainly values quite a bit if he was ever going to leave Oregon. It's not me saying he will. I, I, I don't know if he would or not. Um, I think if, if Miami were to get him, though, 
that would be an incredibly good sign for Miami because it would mean they're actually putting their money where their mouth is, which I think in many instances over the last decade or so, uh, they've not. So, Coop, this is the one that a lot of people asked us about last week. We didn't get to get to, uh, but it's something you had a lot of fun digging in on. Recruiting in North Carolina, man. T- tell me what you found. Yeah, well, I mean, they've, they've done a really good job. I've been really impressed with Mac Brown and the job that he's done. You know, it hasn't really translated onto the field uh, in terms of wins and losses yet. But uh, what they've done this year has been pretty impressive. They're sitting at number nine uh, in terms of the 247 composite rankings. They've done a really good job. And the one thing from a geographic standpoint that has been different than what they've done in the last two classes is a job that they've done in the state of Virginia. They have seven players out of the 16 committed from the state of Virginia, and they have the top five out of the top eight players in that state, and they've done a tremendous job. And if you were to tell me, handpick five guys from the state of Virginia that you'd want, it'd be all those five guys. So they've done a really good job, I think, really on both sides of the line of scrimmage too. I think you look at Travis Shaw, defensive lineman from North Carolina, Zach Rice on the offensive line, a really good tackle there from Virginia. Andre Green, who Clemson was all over, right? Um, the receiver from Virginia, Petaway, to Sean Chapman, Tayon Holloway, really good skill position. They've done a really good job at running back. I love what North Carolina is doing. Now it's just time to see can that materialize on the field. Yeah, I, I'm extremely interested in what they're doing because that them and Miami really profile as the two teams that have the ability to elevate their recruiting at a level to where they can basically show the rest of the division their taillights if it comes together with the coaching and the player development. You know, Miami not really doing it right now. North Carolina the last couple of years has been doing it on the recruiting trail. Uh, w- one thing that w- we talked a lot about uh, back on Barton and Bud and then in, in the cover three previews this year, I was in, in on Carolina if their lines of scrimmage could arrive a year early, particularly their defensive line. We knew they had a lot of young pups that were going to be a year or two players this year. And, you know, ultimately – it just hasn't gotten there to the level they need it to. They, they get pushed around too much at the lines of scrimmage. I'm not going to be like, hey, fire the strength coach guy because I don't know enough about what they're doing inside that program. And it may just be unrealistic to think some of the guys they took uh, were going to be ready to be all impact players in year two. Um, but they have some guys in that program who they've been recruiting who are, are pretty damn talented. And the state of North Carolina – and uh, that Virginia area are pretty underrated as well, in my opinion, for one thing, edge rushing talent. I don't know if it's because they, everybody grows up playing basketball, so we have so many dudes with good basketball builds there, uh, but there's no doubt they have the ability, uh, especially if Miami messes up this hire or if it turns out that keeping Manny Diaz is, is, is a screw-up in and of itself, and I don't know that it is. He, he may end up being the correct guy there. Uh, they have the ability to put some distance between themselves and the division, and it's no coincidence, by the way, they've taken advantage. We talked about Florida not taking advantage of the other people around you being down. North Carolina has absolutely taken advantage of Tennessee being down and of Virginia Tech being down. And I think that Virginia Tech job is less attractive than it used to be in some measure because now you have to face a lot a lot better recruiting teams in that area uh, that are mining that area you used to go to for talent. Yeah, and that's a really talent-rich area. You know, you look at the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and North Carolina's done a really good job kind of tapping into that. You know, we talked about earlier in the show, programs understanding timing and opportunity and when those two collide. And 
taking advantage of Virginia Tech being down, maybe Penn State not being as much in that area as they usually are. Florida State has usually done a really good job in, in the Virginia area, and they haven't been in the mix there as much either. So, And then you look at Clemson, they're starting to kind of spread their wings nationally too, So as they can. Um, but it leaves this kind of big void where you see Carolina taking advantage of it this year. I mean, I look back, their last two classes, there weren't a lot of guys from the state of Virginia. They've done a really good job in, in the state of North Carolina. Um, and I think that's important. I mean, we get back to the overarching theme of like what makes these teams successful. Like you got to understand your boundaries and where, um, you know, how, how far you can really uh, limit yourself in terms of where you can go in terms of your geographical recruiting plan. And it's very easy to see sometimes when you're looking at some of these schools and kind of following them and see, okay, what are these guys doing? I mean, you look at North Carolina. Seven in Virginia, four in North Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, and then you kind of have in, in South Carolina and then two outliers in uh, Illinois and Pennsylvania. And one of those guys is a specialist, and the other one is Sebastian Cheeks, who's a top 247 inside linebacker, uh, who's a really good player that can play sideline to sideline. So they've done a really good job operating within the constraints of their program and, and kind of maximizing that and you know, it's easy to see these teams with a vision and they're sticking to their plan. There's no doubt about it. I just found the stat, by the way, to, to, to go back and pull it up. North Carolina, fifth on defense in Bill Connolly's SP Plus rating, uh, 81st on offense. So it, it does feel like for this year on the field, at least, they've they've kind of squandered a, a really nice year from Sam Howell, uh, but yet have found a, a, pretty, a way to still score a lot of points. Even They lost a lot of skill talent around him that is now playing on Sundays, uh, but defensive line havoc rate 120th in the country. Solid secondary, pretty good linebacking core, I think. they got to find a way to, to, to get that defensive line talent they've recruited and turn it into on-field performance. Um, but, man, like they're they're putting the building blocks in place. It's going to be up to the, the staff now to develop those guys, which I, I assume they will. Uh, that's... I don't know. I, I don't know if they actually took as big of a step back this year as people thought they did. It does make you wonder a little bit if they missed a window, which this division seems pretty winnable this year, uh, and they were not able to you know to do it. Losses at Virginia Tech to open the year. Who fired their coach? Loss at, at Georgia Tech. Who's going to go? We can go three and nine or four and eight this year. Um, really, not competitive loss at Georgia Tech. They, they lost by twenty three in that one. Florida State beat them by ten in Chapel Hill. Um, they were fairly competitive against Pitt, you know, in that rain game. I, I don't think they're that far away if they get the the defensive line to step up, which I think they have the pieces. They just they couldn't arrive in time. They needed the cavalry to get here a little bit earlier. They also signed a quarterback in last year's class who a lot of people like. So even though I think you'll probably lose Sam Howell after this year because this is not a good good draft for quarterbacks, they're not completely bare at that position. Yeah, they've done a good job. And I think, I mean, it goes without saying, I think next year is a critical year for for Mac Brown in, in, in North Carolina in terms of evaluating these guys um, and getting a good understanding. Now you've kind of seen the roster take place. You've seen three really good recruiting classes. Um, so now I think this is kind of, this is the program that, that Mac has built and the one that he's been handing. He's done a really good job in terms of the roster composition. Now it's just, can you set a consistent standard of play? Uh, and they should be outperforming even, um, you know, in, in the midst of this year. 
Like it's just been consistency. And I think those have kind of been the issues across the board, but I'm looking forward to next year. I mean, there's no reason that that team shouldn't be a very good and competitive team in that conference. Kubla, let me ask you a question with, with, with signing day only a couple of weeks away. Now as a staff, obviously you've been in a lot of recruiting meetings. Um, I, I've been on the receiving end of, Hey, do you, you think we really have a shot of this kid type questions from coaches? What is the process like of cutting bait for a kid that, you know, is still talking to you? Obviously, if you're a coach and you're a good recruiter, you believe you're going to get everybody. I mean, there's, there's coaches we both know who think I'm getting everybody. What, what is the process like of moving on from a kid or deciding to, to greenlight somebody else to commit to turn up the heat? Because recruiting is, is a unique game. We don't give silver medals. There is no prize for second place. It, it is purely a zero-sum process. So – how does that go down? Yeah, I think, you know, similar to the conversation that we had last week in terms of, hey, how are we going to move on from you after you've exhausted uh, your eligibility here or your four years of financial aid or whatever? You know, I think it's it's more of a finesse game. It's a delicate conversation and it's, you know, it's all about KYP. You got to know your personnel. Uh, some people uh, come from a background where there's an understanding and, and you know, they're they're not going to take it maybe as hard as others just kind of depends um, how you've maneuvered and how you've navigated that relationship um, throughout the entire process. And is this uh, a thought process that is relatively new in terms of, hey, you know, we had some fall into our lap that we didn't expect. Um, you know, look, we're gonna have to move on from you. Or is it one of those things that, hey, we've known for the last six months that this was gonna be somebody that we've recruited until the end. And we put a list together of guys that we said, hey, we're going to be expendable. Um, and I think there's conversations without being so black and white and direct. Uh, and sometimes it, it just kind of depends on what program um, you're at or, or how the coach wants to handle it. But I think, you know, what you'll hear a lot is, hey, we're going to offer you a gray shirt, you know, numbers crunch, whatever it is. Uh, or, hey, we don't want you to sign until February. I mean, there's different ways to communicate how you want to get your point across with saying, Oh, oh you're, you're taking it from, from the side of we're not going to sign you. I, I meant from the side of like, we're recruiting this kid. The assistant think, thinks he can get him. The intel yeah. we're getting says no, like we're not going to get the guy. How do you go about telling that coach, hey, man, we're moving on. We're, we're, we're going to go to our plan B target here and green like that kid. That's got to be yeah. a delicate conversation. That's a really tough conversation. I mean, I think what you would hope for is that the head coach, um, has a really good awareness and a really good understanding um, and opinion of that within himself. So I think that's important. If you have a, a head coach who's a really good recruiter and a really good communicator, then he kind of understands and he gets to formulate his own opinion of what he believes happening in that situation. So um, I think there's a lot of different parts. I mean, usually you have a primary, secondary recruiter, uh, excuse me, recruiter, and then you have an offense or defense coordinator who's involved. And then the head coach is involved in that process um as well so between all those moving parts i think you kind of arrive at that conclusion together um but those are some of the things i mean some of these assistant coaches are going to be bullish on on some of these uh topics of discussion because they've invested so much of their personal time that's when it's really hard when you're sitting in the recruiting role and your job is to keep an objective lens uh on the situation from afar because you don't get emotionally attached to it um, but a lot of that's just really depending on the person. You know, we, we see it here on the media side, especially this time of year. I'm like, okay, Bama staff thinks they're getting the kid. This staff thinks they're getting the kid. This staff thinks they're still in it. Like, 
two of these staffs are wrong. So somebody is missing a key piece of information here. Like I could see maybe, you know, it, it coming down to two, but like when, when, when you got three or four staffs thinking we're really going to get this kid, somebody usually has the lead, whether or not you know it or not. And I think it is a real skill, man, to be able to like have the, the foresight to bow out of a race when you realize you're probably going to finish second and best and get on a plan B in time, as opposed to having to drop down like a plan C or a plan D target, which you don't really have to go plan D anymore because of, of the portal. I would say for the most part, like at a certain point, you're not going to reach kind of below a threshold. Uh, but you do see that and that like that, you want to find out where roster holes come for some of these schools holding on too long to a dream. They're going to sign this kid and then Bama scoops him. Yeah. It's a, it's a complete kind of like, opportunity costs like I, I love that term in terms of when it comes down to roster building analyzing these situations and certain scenarios uh, but you know a lot of it is is hey we're, we're willing to stick all the way to the finish line regardless of the answer that we get because we know what type of player this is and how we could potentially impact our program you know all the stuff that we deal with in terms of getting up to that point it is what it is you know, and we'll deal with it because this is how we feel about a certain player. Right. Or there might be a point in time where you say, you know what? This guy can go do whatever the hell he wants. We're going to cut bait with him because he's not worth it, you know? Um, so I think there's a lot of different situations. And look, the better the player, the more leash they have. There's no secret to that. That that just kind of is what it is. You know, you're going to stick with those guys to the end. And, you know, like there's certain recruiters who get and they understand that and they get and they understand how frustrating it is for some staffs, whether it's a coaching staff or recruiting staff that kind of have to deal with what they're dealing with. But as soon as they get that signature, they're on the roster. Um, that's what's important. You know, it just gets you closer to whatever your goal is. No doubt about it. Uh, last couple here. I, I just, some more stuff I wanted to run by you. With the transfer portal now, um, how weary are you of taking kids onto your roster who may be going to you because you're their best option because some of their other options closed up, but you don't really feel like they're necessarily, you know, all that jazzed about you, right? Maybe you have a kid who's got a top four and like internally, we, we know that he's not actually a, a quote unquote, a, a take at these other three schools. Are, are you, are you worried about the increased portal risk for a kid like that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that all of it, you have to evaluate kind of, um, in a case by case uh, situation for, for how you're looking at these guys. I mean, the portal is so fascinating to me in terms of all the dynamics that go into it. Um, you know, but there are situations for places that I've been in the past where, you know, maybe you're not their number one option uh, and vice versa, uh, but the fit makes sense, right. you know? And then I think um, your role is to really get them to understand it. And it's, it's crazy how you recruit somebody in the portal versus how you recruit somebody in high school. I mean, it doesn't even feel like the same thing. You know, it feels like you're having a conversation with more of a free agent in terms of saying, Hey, you know, you're coming in on fit, like not worried about photo shoots, all that type yeah, of stuff. No. And, you know, it's like, look, you're coming in day one. This is who you're competing with. It's a very, you know, bottom line type of conversation. So, um, you know, I think for them, they're, they're just trying to find whatever it is that they were missing at the, the last place that they enrolled, you know, so whether it's PT, whether it's a path uh, to the field or a situation that benefits them um, or a coach that they have a relationship with, whatever it is, you just try to tap into that. No doubt about it. Coop, man, uh, 
pretty good numbers today. Had had a couple hundred live viewers. I'm sure we'll do a bunch more on the replay. We'll, we'll chop this thing seven ways for Sunday. You uh, got Thanksgiving plans? I do. Back home in Louisiana, man. So can't complain. Life is good. Nice. I uh, uh, shout out to Dan if you're watching this. My, my, my wife's grandpa. He turns ninety. Uh, li- li- lives in Baton Rouge. Uh, she's about eight and a half months pregnant, so she's not able to travel right now. But uh, it's killing her. She can't be there back in Louisiana uh, with him. And I, I mean, I miss that dirty rice. That would be eat, eat a little bit of that for me. That, that, that stuff is pretty serious, man. I gotta, I gotta watch my weight, dude. <laughs> Dude, like I, if I, I, I live there, I'd be 400 pounds. <laughs> I'll probably gain 10 pounds in about a week. Oh, we'll get it's... back to you next week. We'll, we'll see how I'm looking. <laughs> Got to make weight. All right, buddy. Yep. All right, man. Appreciate it. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.